Well, good evening and uh, welcome back to our Bible study. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Job, um, Job 39. And we're going to read from verse 19 of Job 39. Do you give the horse its strength or clothe his neck with a flowing mane? Do you make him leap like a locust, strike terror with his proud snorting? He pours fiercely, rejoicing in his strength. He charges into the fray. He laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. He doesn't shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against his side, along with the flashing spear and the lance. In frenzied excitement, he eats up the ground. He cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. At the blast of the trumpet, he snorts. Aha! he cries. The sense of battle from afar. He scents the battle from afar. The shouts of commanders and the battle cry. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread his wings towards the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build his nest on high? He dwells on a cliff and stays there at night. A rocky crag is his stronghold. From there he seeks out his food, his eyes detected from afar, his young ones feast on blood. And where the slain are, there he is. The Lord said to Job, Will you, the one who contends with the Almighty, correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer twice, but I will say no more. Well, God, I'll add his blessing to that reading of his word. Just uh, come before him in prayer. Our Father, we again lean upon your understanding and we ask that you will lead us through these words, that you might speak to us just as you spoke to Job. And our Father, we bring these things before you in the power of your Holy Spirit, and we ask for them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you might remember that last week we finished with um, the previous verses of chapter 39. That was 13 to 18, verse 13 to 18. Uh, And we've seen that God's will is unique, and it goes beyond our understanding And we said the word unique means being the only one of its kind. And God is the only one of his kind. And unique is being unlike anything else. So we should not be surprised to realize that we can't understand everything. In these few verses that we looked at uh, at the end of, of last week, we were introduced to the ostrich. I'm just going to read those verses again. Verse 13 of 38. Uh, Verse 13 of 39. The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, though they cannot compare with the wings and feathers of the stork. She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly, as if they were not hers. She cares not for her labour, was in vain, that her labor was in vain, for God did not endow her with wisdom to give her a share of good sense. You know, this is 
about this strange and comical bird, the ostrich. This bird that has wings, but it can't fly. And when it lays its eggs, it just lays them in the sand and, and leaves them there, and they're in danger of being trampled underfoot, but she doesn't care. Just as if she doesn't care for her young. Now, this not only might, but this does seem like foolishness to us. Even nature programs will fail to understand why this happens. But who are we to question God's reasoning? Just because we don't understand it. And you know, this is what Job has been doing. He's questioning God's reasoning. He can't see the reason. So he asks Where is the sense in all that's happening to him? Now, with this thought in mind, we took a look at 1 Corinthians, and it was chapter 1, verse 18 through to 25. But I just, this evening, want to read to you a couple of verses, verse 18 and 19 from that passage, just to remind us of what we learned after considering the the apparent foolishness of the ostrich. This is what 1 Corinthians 18 said. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And verse 19, for it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligence I will frustrate. So here's a question for us. How does the fallen world see the one who had come to save them from the penalty of sin. Well, Isaiah 53 tells us this in verse 2 as he speaks about Jesus. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. That's a thought for us, but before we leave that thought, let's just go back to what God said about the ostrich in Job 39. And this is what else God said about him. This is Job 39, verse 18. Yet, when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at the horse and rider. You see, the ostrich can outrun the horse. That's a thought for us, isn't it? But let's just think about this. Because now, in chapter 39, verse 19 to 25, we move from the ostrich to the horse. Let's, let's, let's just read those verses. Uh, 39, verse 19 through 25. Do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Do you make it leap like a locust, striking terror with its proud snorting, its paws fiercely rejoicing in its strength, and charges into the fray? It laughs of fear, afraid of nothing. It doesn't shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against its side along with the flashing spear and lance. In frenzied excitement, it eats up the ground. It cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. At the blast of the trumpet, it snorts. Ah! It catches the scent of battle from afar. The shout of commanders and the battle cry. Well, that's a graphic description of the horse, isn't it? You know, every day we measure our, our, our 
power of, of our engines or our car engines by the strength of the horse. You know, the average car will be rated at 180 to 200 horsepower and a very fast car will be rated at about 300 horsepower. So we have here, still, in our day, thinking about the power of the horse. And in this passage, we have a description of the war horse. The war horse was the most powerful weapon in the days of Job. It was the ultimate power in the hands of man. And this scenario would strike fear in the heart of man. And it would also remind Job of what happened to him when the the Sabians came riding into his land, destroying everything. We read about that in Job 1, verse 14 through to 15. A messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were ploughing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. And the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And you know, what God is saying to Job is this, look, Job, it's not you who gives the horse its strength. It's me. He gives us the, God gives the horse its strength so that it will be able to face danger. There is good and evil in this world and we are reminded of it. But we're also reminded that God is in control and it's not for Job to question God's reasoning. So we go on in to verse 26 and 30 of chapter 39, and death and life are part of the animal kingdom. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings towards the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high? It dwells on a cliff stays there at night a rocky crag is its stronghold from there it looks for food its eyes detected from afar its young ones feast on blood and where the slain are there it is you know watch any wildlife program and you will see the beauty and also the ugliness And you will see these things side by side. You know, these are reminders to Job that there is suffering in the world. You see this in the animal kingdom. Some die so that others may live. The lioness must hunt the deer to feed her cubs, or they will die. The ravens, they will feed on the carcass of the deer. As chicks are fed on the kill brought to them, by the hawk and the eagle. And God has been speaking about this, and Job has seen it. He's seen it in the rain that falls from heaven, that water that's necessary for life that can also create floods and tsunamis that bring suffering and death. And Job, like you and me, are being asked by God, can you understand the whys and the wherefores of creation. You know, before we go into chapter 40 of Job, I I want us to go back to Job 38, verse 2 and 4, to hear what God said to Job when he began to speak to him. 
So 38 verse 2 and 4. God is saying, who is Job? Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? This is what God said. Well, you know, this is also what Elihu said about Job in 34 verse 35. Because he said, Job speaks without knowledge. His words lack insight. And on that occasion, Elio was right. But let's go back to God and what he said to Job. Verse 38, verse 3. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. You see, as we've been going through the book of Job, we see that Job has been finding fault in God. In God allowing him to suffer. And he's been saying that it's not fair. These things should not be. And he's saying that he, Job, has done nothing that warrants his pain and suffering. And and that is right. But then he goes on, and by definition, he is implying that God is wrong in allowing it to happen. You know, I'm sure that at some time or other, we, like Job, have said, why why me, Lord? Why is this happening to me? What have I done to deserve this? And thereby, we go on to question God's actions. I want us to notice something as we've been going through this book. We notice that God does not rebuke Job when he said to Job at the beginning of their encounter in 38 verse 3, Brace yourself like a man, I will question you and you shall answer me. What's happening here is the Lord is recognizing that Job is strong enough to handle the things that he's about to tell him. God is not out to break Job's spirit, but he will, in a stern but gentle way, bring Job to the point that he will realize that he doesn't need to have the definitive answer of why. He just needs to trust in the divine one who is in control of all things. So, some questions for us to ask. Is Job in the position to tell God how to manage his creation? Is Job able to say to God, Why did you do things that way, when in my opinion you should have done things this way? Is Job going to tell God that he's been managing things wrong, and that Job would have done things differently, and would have done things better? Has Job forgotten who is speaking to him? The one who is, I am, the almighty God. So let's go on and find out what Job will do. So we come to Job 40 verse 1 and 2. And God will now invite the one who accuses him to answer him. Verse 1 and 2. The Lord said to Job, will the one who contends with the Almighty, correct him. Let him who accuses God answer him. I want to stop and just think about this for a moment. The one who contends with God, 
You know, another way of saying contend is to say, take on. You know, like the boxer. The boxer who will eventually step into the ring to the sound of the master of ceremonies announcing the names of the two contenders. How will Job answer? Well, we find out in verse 3 and 5 of Job 40. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. What is Job saying here? First of all, he's saying that he's unworthy. He's saying, how can I give you an answer to these things? And in fact, the phrase, put his hand over his mouth, is like we do, don't we, when we stop ourselves from saying something. You see, Job sees the awesomeness of God in the light of this. He sees his own unworthiness. And what does he do? One, he admits. He admits and says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? And then he makes a declaration. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. In other words, I've been saying the wrong thing over and over again. I want us to finish this morning as we have considered Job. Job who is now humble in the presence of his Lord. And this is a good thing. You know, when God began to speak to Job, he said this. This is Job 38, verse 2. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? You know, here in the middle of what the Lord has to say, because we're going to go on in the next chapter and hear what else God has to say. But here in the middle, God has, has asked Job to give an answer. Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. So he refers to Job as one who is misunderstanding God's plans. Lacking knowledge and accusing God of being unfair. So, how do you think God sees Job now? Does he see him as a disobedient failure? Well, the answer is no. It's a definite no. How do we know that? Well, we know what God thinks about Job. And he hasn't changed what he thinks about Job. And this is what he said in Job chapter 1, verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. You know, this is how God sees us as being one of his children. And when we go through times that we, we don't understand and we maybe question God, God is still there for us. He still sees us as his child. And even though we might not get an answer to why things are happening to us, then God is still there. 
The Lord is still there. Jesus has promised to be with us, and he is with us through these hard times. And even if we come and humble ourselves before the Lord, that is a good thing to do. And when we do that, we might not come away with all the answers, but we can come away with the knowledge that God is in control. That he knows all things, that he's still there, even when we think he isn't. And he's still doing the right thing, even when we, in our opinion, think it's the wrong thing. Let's just pray together as we come to the end this evening. Our Father, we do ask your blessing upon us now as we have gathered around your word. And we pray that you might help us to take what we learn Make it ours, take it with us into whatever situation we are in at the moment. If, if things are good and joyful, let us rejoice in you. And our Father, if things are maybe not so good, let us continue to rejoice in you. And if things are running, in our opinion, badly, we pray that you might draw close to us. Let us know that you are there and that we will go through these things together. As we come to you now in the name of Jesus. Amen.